If you want to scale your business, that is a replicatable model, regardless of the discipline that you're in, which will produce results. This is definitely not a uh, scale a business by sort of halfway doing things. You really have to be absolutely all over it. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm excited to be joined by Joel Slenning. Joel is the president of Innova People, which is a healthcare and IT staffing agency based in Portland, Oregon. Prior to that, Joel founded, built, and sold Icon Medical Network, which is a, a national locum tenens provider. Joel's recruiting career actually started in 1999. He's consistently ranked as one of the top producing recruiters in the country. He's an award-winning billing manager. In addition to being uh, a big biller, he's a tech investor and a startup advisor. Welcome, Joel. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, appreciate it. Fantastic. So our mutual friend, Jordan Rayboy, calls you a badass. Why do you think he said that? Uh, that's, that's funny. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, Jordan and I go way back. I think we met in 2003 um, okay. at a pace you know, and we were both part of the MRI network. And we've, uh, we went back and forth for years trading places of number one and number two or number three spot in the MRI network. And I think uh, he uses that phrase affectionately uh, um, no referring to our, to our com com competition days back in the MRI network. <laughs> got it. Got it. All right. No, that makes sense. Um, so listen, by the way, this is completely unrelated to what we have planned to talk about today. But when I checked out your LinkedIn profile, I noticed you're an investor in a tech company in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is where I'm originally from. How did oh, you, based in, <laughs> in, uh, in Portland, end up backing a, a, a tech company in the Maritimes in Canada? Yeah, well, um, I don't know if you know this, but there is a pretty great little tech startup scene in Halifax. And a family member of mine I know I spent um, six years in Canada, in Vancouver, British Columbia, during my okay. junior and high school years. Um, my family relocated there. Um, and then, so um, a family member uh, uh, got involved in this tech startup and made the pitch. Um, and uh, it was just very intriguing. And I had spent a good portion of the last decade plus actually helping local startups, IT startups um, in the Portland area um, scale through, through mm -hmm. staff, you know, act, talent acquisition. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was, so I, I, I got on board um, and it's been a wonderful experience. Um, I'm an advisor and um, it's potentially leading me to another opportunity as well um, to get involved in another startup. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. Well, listen, yeah. that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about today is, I mean, there's so many things we could we could cover, but what I'm particularly interested in is your journey as a, you know, going from a recruiter to then a firm, you know, the founder of a, of a firm, but also then being able to scale that, which is something that not many owners are able to do successfully is to you know, go beyond being a producer or perhaps a billing manager with a small team uh, and to be able to replace 
their own revenue in the business and get to the point where they can actually step away from the day-to-day to the extent that someone could actually acquire it, that it's not just, you know, the business doesn't rely on 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 them. So could you take yeah. me through that journey? Like you you started Icon, I think almost was it about 10 years ago? Yeah. So it was a 2009. Okay. Um, got it. It started. Yeah. On my own by myself. And so timing wise, like that was round about the time of the, the last big recession. What inspired you to like, say, I know I'm going to start my own recruiting firm. Yeah. Well, I had helped build an MRI office up to pretty scalable, pretty reasonable size. Um, Mm -hmm. and, I had built a model uh, on which to operate. And, and literally, I started this um, in 2003. And it was, the philosophy was, was to take people's talents as recruiters or in, in the MRI language, an account executive, mm-hmm. and surround them with tools to make their job easier and and basically make sure that we were um, utilizing really what they were good at, which was deal making or rain making, you know, however you want to put it. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time, so that was where the where where that's what they were doing on a regular basis. And I was able to take that from a solo desk of recruiting pharmacists, uh, inpatient pharmacists, um, and take that desk to you know the million dollar level. And then replicate that in dis- different disciplines, that same model, different disciplines in healthcare. And uh, ended up with 35 plus employees and a pretty healthy um, perm placement business in, in, wow. in healthcare. So 2008 came and healthcare was impacted immensely because of the yes. immense job loss and, and the things that happened. Um, and yeah, for some reason, I had this crazy notion that I needed to go out off of my own in the worst market um, possible, <laughs> uh, and that was that was that was a little a little nutty. And and I think that that one of the things that I realized was that you have to be have a very significant foundation as to how and and understanding of not only what you're trying to accomplish as a as a search firm owner, mm-hmm. but why specifically you're doing it and how it's going to impact the people that you're going to bring on and what's in it for them. Mm-hmm. So taking that same mentality mm-hmm. of, of bringing in talented people and surrounding themselves with tools and or other talented people to make sure that they were doing, that they were most of the time deal making, making placements, you know, mm-hmm bringing in business in the door, that model is very, very scalable, especially if the compensation plan is right and that you are dedicated to investing time in each of those individuals. Mm-hmm. It can't be just sort of this mill. It's very difficult to get high-level producers you know, just by hiring them based on a criteria, taking them through a training program and putting them on the phone. You know. That just it doesn't it, it that is a very expensive endeavor, um, and so 
laying that foundation, having written values for your business, mm-hmm. very specific. Here's what we're about. Here are the values of the company. Here is the compensation plan. It's ironclad. There's no questions about it. And it's not mm-hmm. going to change. And you only benefit the more that you do. A metrics system that's that's that that has the key metrics that are that can be tracked and and people held accountable to. And then finally the right tool set, you know, whether it's technology, sourcers, researchers, data entry people, um, even lead generation folks that are bringing um, potential leads or even appointment setters for them on the marketing side, a marketing team and or outsourced marketing team that's doing the email marketing and things. These are all the key components to ultimately being able to lay the foundation to scale um, a, a business mm. and to ultimately replace, replace your, your personal production with mm. a multitude of others that, that are hope that then, then you are now helping to build up and get them to the million dollar mark or whichever, you know, mark that, that needs to be. Amazing. So it's pretty specific. Yeah. Well, so makes total sense. I agree a hundred percent. That of course doesn't happen overnight. So let's talk through the stages. So you said that when you set out, you have to be really clear on what you're trying to achieve, why you're doing it and what's in it for the people who are going to come with you on this, um, you know, and, and, and join this enterprise. So what were those answers for you? Like, why were you doing it and what were you trying to achieve? You know, for me back in contemplating this and planning this thing in 2008, um, what I didn't like was being, was being, you know, tied to, other pieces of a business that were failing, right? And so as you as you look at at what I personally wanted to do was I was, you know, just recently married, expecting a a, a child, um, and I had aspirations of larger things. And so I set out to build a business that was going to help me achieve those things. But on the say, on the flip side, what really drives me every day is, is um, being a coach mm. and being able to be a part of other, other people's successes. That really, dry, that really gets me up in the morning and be, yeah. getting to be a part of and participate with people and, and help them do you know, what I've done a few times over. And and maybe watch them do it better than than me, um, or in a unique way, or or, or it, the, the the that building that out is really what what drives me and sets me sets me going. And so that's what what you know got me fired up to to get that started. Fantastic. And did you know going in that you wanted to build to sell, or was that an evolution that took place over? over time you know the the timeline of the the sale and all of that is always kind of a mystery you never really know but i set out to build a business that could be for sale someday 
Yeah. So there was no, I didn't, I didn't set a timeline. I didn't, I didn't know, you know, what that would be, but tried to manage the business and set the foundation of the business up so that it would be positioned to be attractive to someone uh, at some point. Yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. So first, I know this is a long time ago. It's probably pretty hazy, but first 12 months, like what was that like? You know, your own firm, it's exciting, but scary. You've got a new baby. Uh, you know, the economy is still, you know, in recovering or just not, not even starting to recover really at that stage. What uh, did you do to make sure that this was going to work? You know, it was scary because it was so quiet out there in the market. Mm. And um, it's funny too, you know, Jordan Rayboy actually came and stayed with me for like two weeks at that time. Um, came to the house and uh, hung out and we worked a lot of different things out together. Um, but, uh, you know, he, what he's so good at is that just plan driven day. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, so he was a lot of help to me in in sort of making sure that as I as we set this thing out into motion, you know, what were the activities that needed to happen in order to make sure this was going to work? And it took considerably longer than it did, but it was getting, you know, the basics, getting on the phone, starting to build relationships with people, and and you know, being a new business, you know, I was completely basically by myself. There was there was not a lot. It, it was hard to break in, which I was I found surprising, but I think it was just the market at the time. And so navigating that, you just have to believe that it's going to happen. You really, it's a belief system that it's this is going to take off eventually. And it was literally just sort of one placement, you know, breathing a sigh of relief, being, <laughs> oh my gosh, okay, finally, like here's things happening. And then, you know, wait, having to wait a month or two before the next one happens, you know, and, and, and then finally it was kind of like, it took six months to really get any sort of consistency, um, even in how it was going to work, how the day to day was going to work. Um, because, you know, there's, there's, you, it's very easy to get caught in the trap of, well, administratively, there's lots to do to set up your business. You know, there's lots of things that you can be putting together. There's lots of, you know, training schedules and, and all this crap that is meaningless unless you're billing, right? So uh, one of the things that, that you, know, you just had to get up in the morning and focus on was the billing activity. What needs to be done today in order to ensure placements are going yes. to happen tomorrow? And, and then in the evening, that was your opportunity to work on the business and that's the that's you have to be willing to do that um you know unless you've got an investor or you want to put you know half a million a million dollars aside to cover the probably two to three years of production that's going to be required by you um so you know that's that's where that focus has to be and and that's not easy um especially in 2009, <laughs> it was, not, it was not, sure. not easy. Yeah. You know, so when you're in a firm, you, you do, and especially as you've described your previous setup, a lot of 
support systems in place to allow you to focus on just doing deals, right? And then when you go out on your own, all of a sudden you're doing everything yourself and it can be very distracting and also frustrating to figure out how can I concentrate on the revenue generation stuff, but all these other things still need to happen. Were you like a one person show to begin with, or did you have a team pretty quickly? How did that work out? So I started off completely by myself with uh, no one. And then, and then about six to eight months in, I think was the first um, partner to come on and to start um, selling in, a, in an individual desk way. Mm-hmm. And then about three months after that is when we brought on two more like account executive types. But I had within three months, I had hired a recruiter in India mm. and was using that as a resource to, um, you know, fill, build lists and, and, and source. Even back then, it, was, it wasn't super efficient, but it was efficient enough to try to limit the amount of time that I was spending building that stuff and sort of mining and, and, and sourcing because that is just not an activity that really I should be working on. I should be marketing or marketing a candidate or, or, or you know, speaking to candidates directly. Absolutely. So I spent the couple hundred dollars at the time, couple hundred dollars a month to make sure that that activity was happening every single day. Awesome. You know, in my uh, coaching group, we encourage our uh, members to definitely, you know, get virtual assistants or even team of virtual assistants um, as a way of freeing up your focus to concentrate on revenue generating stuff. So we, most of our VAs are based in the Philippines. Um, my, my VA, Rachel, who you've, you've uh, exchanged emails with is, uh, is Filipino. Um, and it's a great, either uh, um, a way of getting support while you build up the cash reserves in order to hire your own employees or, if you are a solo operator, it's a way of achieving more than one person, you know, increasing your capacity. Um, yeah. But it sounds like you hired pretty quickly. What were the trigger points to, cause this is a big question I get asked Joel is how to decide when to make that first hire or the second hire, you know, what, what is the, what is the criteria to say now we're ready? Let's, let's pull the trigger. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's revenue based. Mm -hmm. And if you are able to basically stock away the cash for a full year salary for a person, and you want to scale your business, then you're ready to hire someone. Um, you know, unless you're going to borrow the money and there's nothing wrong with, you know, going and getting quarter million dollars to to build up your business that that's okay too that's a fast way of do it. it's a little riskier but you know mm-hmm. you can also raise the money personally and that and that to me is 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 where those trigger points are is if the revenue's there and it's 12 months worth of it mm-hmm. um then that's how you do it and then you just go one at a time why did you so 
talk me through the rationale of the 12 months of the over the cost of hiring that new person. Why, why 12 months? I think that for me, it was always a good, safe number. Okay. Um, and we never really experienced, I never really experimented with anything else. I mean, we, when we could see within the budget that there was 12 months worth of revenue that was just going to be got set off to the side, mm-hmm. then that was another headcount, you know, um, cool. if we were increasing total, total revenue and, mm-hmm. and the increases, you know, had been booked out long enough to be able to afford that person with, you know, then we would, then we would do it. Did you factor in the um, the fact that not everyone's going to make it? You know, we might have to hire three people to have one that's that that's right for us and that's going to actually produce. Or, like, what were your mm-hmm. hiring metrics um, or assumptions there? Yeah, so we, you know, back back then mm-hmm. it was very it, it, it our our model was one at a time we knew that we you weren't you weren't necessarily going to find success every time um we did a pretty good job but 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 if if you knew that 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 you could end up in a 90 day period where there where you had guessed wrong and then you were going to lose that you know investment yeah. Well, obviously, based on the twelve-month revenue stream, you you were setting that money aside regardless. So, so you had to reevaluate whether or not it was it was, you know, productive. So I would look at it like this: even if we mishired, did the hire produce any sort of first-time, you know, uh, interviews? And and we would calculate those to see if the, uh, if, you know, we would say in our world, a first time interview would equate to about $4,000 on the average for everyone, you know? Okay. And, and so, so if we were gaining some of that back, we would, we, we weren't penalized in a massive way. If we weren't getting any first time send outs at all, or, um, first time interviews at all, then we were really mishired. Um, we, we made a big mistake. Yeah. So we were very, very, we were also slow to hire and quick to, you know, let go. Yeah. Um, and, but based on those metrics. So sometimes people in the 90 day timeframe would make it a little bit longer because they were providing candidates for first time interviews. And we rarely brought in fact, I, it was it was very rare that we would bring someone in into a business development full desk role right away. We always brought them in underneath someone and brought them up. So that that support and 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 you know mentorship happened right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, so Great. we were very fortunate. There were very few very few people that sort of didn't make it, but they certainly did. And you have to be you have to have very specific metrics targets in place for each new hire and understand if they are not hitting those within 60 days, then you've got a real problem. 
And, you know, if they're not contributing to that first time interview metric, um, even within, within that 60 days, then there's, then you probably don't have someone that's going to perform in that role. Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I want to encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back, and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized, and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Let me take a step back and just reflect on a couple of things you've said. Um, so, Joel, I think that decision as to whether this is a lifestyle business or you're going to build something is critical because the paths are very different, right? And you decided, you know, early on that we're going to grow this thing because what it means in practical terms is you're drawing down less from the business to fund your lifestyle and you're reinvesting, your, you're putting that money aside in order to uh, to, to fund the, the growth and make those hires. Right. So it means that, you know, in, it's, that's a, that's a different, not everyone's willing to do that. And so that's a different path right yeah. there. Um, now these metrics you talk about are important. I'd like to double click on that because what I've noticed is that some owners who do have the ambition, they do think that they want to scale. Um, but A, they either make some bad hiring decisions early on, which suck all their capital that they had set aside. And the, the, the double whammy there is time as well, right? Because if you give uh, too much time to your new hire to the detriment of your own production and they don't work out, now you've got a double whammy effect where you're your overall revenues down and your costs are, are up. Um, and then yeah. that can be so frustrating that people kind of just give up and go, do you know what? Not worth the hassle. I'm just going to be a solo guy and not, not worry about it. Make, make a good, uh, a good income. So how did you set things up to number one, make sure that this person was going to be right for you guys. And then number two, um, what were the metrics that allowed you to know that someone was doing the, you know, was on the right track? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, you know, early on, we totally screwed it up, you know, 10 okay. times over, <laughs> you know, uh, this was a, you know, we, we, you know, when I was hiring people, I thought that you could sort of do it, you know, teach these people how to do it and then just sort of set them and go and say, here you go. And then, and, and within a year or so of seeing moderate to no success doing that completely just got rid of it and said, this is ridiculous. You know, where, how can you measure the contribution of someone who's quote unquote, not making placements? So that question I had to solve and I started to realize that there was key metrics, key in, uh, pieces of the business that were being done by new people that if we were focused in on that, then we could take advantage of every hire, but hopefully make sure that each hire was was going to, you know, that we did our job and is going to ultimately be in a machine that was going to work for them and they're going to produce out of it. Mm. So after a couple of years of experience, you know, experimenting with this, um, you realized that there were very specific numbers that needed to be hit. And, and to expect a new recruiter to come in and build these huge lists of people and on their own and be productive is just nonsense. It doesn't work. You have to provide this stuff for them. And that's where a lot of the researchers and the sourcers come in. Um, good data scrubbed into your ATS, building out lists that are set up. You have to set this person up for success. But not only that, you have to have a certain number of phone calls that need to go out every day, a certain number of different touches, so emails or whatever it might be. And they have to be connecting with a certain number of people. And they have to be what's available to them. There has to be a certain number of jobs that they can pitch. Mm-hmm. And you can't have someone go in and work on five different job titles and expect to be successful if they're new. Mm-hmm. They need to work on five different jobs that are all the same. Right. And they will be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, bringing a person on board to fill one or two more, you know, to make three or four placements for you in a year is pointless. There's, there's, there's no point. The, the overhead cost and the time invested will not, does not pay for itself. So if you can get to some basic numbers at minimum of 45 outbound calls for the day to result in a, at least two to three connections where they're pitching the pitching one of your jobs. Mm -hmm. And, and so when you, because usually for for me it was always sort of this forty five to three to one. So I would you know once they really did three three time the job was presented three times you typically got someone to at least to the point to where the account manager could say yes let's get this person submitted. Now then you've got a submission rate that you need to make sure that you're you're you know understanding and that also typically mm-hmm. tends to be three to four in our world in, in four to one, a lot of people are like eight, nine, 10, 11 submissions to one right. first time interview. And so you have to scale your metrics accordingly. We're, we're fortunate in, in sort of healthcare and the niche IT space that we're in that there, it takes a lot less to get what we're doing. But the, the, the 
job level that we work on, the volume is much less. Mm. So you have to be very mindful of, so the, the best way to do this is to take your personal desk and work it backwards to the place from, from placement to, to um, recruiting. What were the metrics to become, have a successful placement? You know, and if you're not tracking the metrics, you're, 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 you're just playing Russian roulette with hiring. I just wouldn't even bother doing it. Um, and if, if there's, so once you have some measurements in place, then you need to put a month's worth of work in front of someone. So you can't plan a week for them. You have to plan a month for them. So if you don't have the volume in your ATS to at least give them 44 dials, I mean, that's not even that money, but it, 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 if, if, the, if it's done well, you're, they're going to get connections and it's, it's going to build on itself. Mm-hmm. 44 dials a day for a month, you know, then you're in a position to where you can probably create enough first-time send-outs to get your person placement free technically for the through for the first 90 days because if you can get at least one first time send out out of that activity a month in our in my world that's worth at least five thousand dollars a piece that fifteen thousand dollars that's that i know is ultimately going to be created within the business you know i've paid for the training time and the and the the investment i've make made into the business into the person i'm sorry Mm. Um, and then you're, refi- you're refining their skill over the course of that 90 days. Now, of course, they're immediately dismissed if they don't create a first-time interview. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, that's within the first 60 days. But mm-hmm. you know, there's other things. If they're if they're not hitting the, the daily outbounds that you've set forth, too, of course, that's a reason for dismissal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but most people, if set up to succeed do and, um, if they want to. So you really have to make sure that that is ready and in place to plop someone in and you know take two weeks, train them up, and within that two-week time frame, you get them on the phone starting to track and measure their, their, their metric activity, you know, their activity, and what it means to the desk specifically. And so it you challenge your full desk people with a, if you want to hire someone, here is what you have to have set up and available to them mm-hmm. in order to be able to be successful. And some will do that and some won't. But um, if you want to scale your business, that is a replicatable model, regardless of the discipline that you're in, which will produce results. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you waver on it at all, it just blows apart. You can't do it. This is definitely not a uh, a uh, you, you don't you don't scale a business by sort of halfway doing things. You really have to be absolutely all over it and inspecting everything that you expect to happen all the time. And that's that's where that's where all that stuff comes from. Awesome. So it's a very thoughtful approach. You're very clear on your metrics. Um, And I love this part about setting people up for success. I think that is one of the keys that you've you've really nailed that, Joel, because owners, they just throw someone at the deep end and then 
they wonder why the person's not producing or contributing and then they're frustrated, but really it's, you know, they have no one to blame but themselves. They didn't set the person up for success. And even if they did have the talent or the desire to, to do well, um, they just, they, they, they weren't supporting them correctly. So it sounds like you made a few hires your first year. How did things sort of progress from there in, in the evolution at, uh, at Icon? Well, I'll add one thing, yeah. you know, for owners who are looking, looking <clears throat> to scale, you know, this is, this is um, more, you're not going to work less because you're hiring. Right. You're going to work right. more. Yes. Um, and you have to be prepared for that. It's not a, this is not, um, you know, it is even more intense. So the lifestyle businesses are great. You know, they serve a wonderful purpose for no, not only the, the individual contributor, but for the community that they're, they're connecting with. But the impact that a scaled staffing company or search firm has is unreal. Mm. And, but it is, it is a, it is a full-time, full-time job for the owner, for sure. And they're, you know, when you get to 50 million or whatever, you can take a little break if you want, um, or whatever you're setting out to, to accomplish, yeah. you know, 20 million, whatever it is, 25, 50, but don't stop until you get there. So your, uh, your question about, um, you know, like I said, got a few hires, kind of rocky, mm-hmm. didn't work that great. Let some people go. All of a sudden, we sort of hit the stride, and we had put this training program in place. I spent the time to hammer it out. I used the the crew down at Next Level Exchange for a bunch of oh, information. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, I worked with them very closely to design a, a you know a training. Um, um, you know, model. Um, they were very involved in the first two weeks, and and then, um, you know, we would, uh, you know, just every day we were on. You know, what what did you get done? How do you measure it? We would do this thing too that worked really, really effectively, and we would have new employees make ten phone calls mm-hmm. and just track on piece of paper to evaluate what happened every ten. Mm-hmm. And then I would sit down with them and we'd go through it, you know, and sometimes they would connect with someone and they would have some positive things to say. And they'd say, oh, the next 10 phone calls were all voicemails, right? Or a couple of numbers weren't correct or whatever it is. It's trying mm-hmm. to make the everyone very conscious of what their effort was producing mm-hmm. and, and then trying to refine the activity. The activity itself or the model of the activity doesn't need to change, but, but what you're doing with it can sometimes be changed. And I think that also that, that as we coached through the, that in a much more detailed way, mm-hmm. that really elevated the level of, of people. And we brought some seasoned folks into the business that I worked with very closely that you know immediately contributed because they knew what they were doing. They bought into what we were doing and they replicated it. And so we just started to take off as a business. I mean, it was incredible what we were capable of doing just in the first couple of years. Wow. So uh, what was the next stage then? Once you kind of hit your stride, year two you know, or so, you felt like you had something was replicatable. Um, 
how did things progress from there? Like what were the kind of key stages in the, in the growth of the business? Yeah. So there's some pretty simple steps that you need to be planned for. You know, one is it protecting the margin of the business um, in its early stages um, and not going too fast. Mm. We did that. And then I think we made, we made a mistake later on in, in where we had hit such large numbers and we were doing such um, intense uh, margin that we may have got, we got ahead of ourselves. But um, in the early stages, you know, the, um, there's a, there's a trigger point to where if you truly want to truly scale, I'm not talking about having a million dollar search business or $2 million. I mean, those are great. This is like, 20 million plus um, that you personally need to be off a desk and, or you need to be prepared to hire a man, an operations manager of the business. It's one or the other. Yeah. You either are no longer going to be a producer. So if you are the key producer and relationship person, then you're probably, that's not a wise decision to take, get yourself off of a desk. Mm-hmm. You need to be looking at hiring an operations manager and when I see organizations that are scaling at around 35 to 40% growth year over year, that's where it's like, okay, you're in a position to where you've got something going, you can make this thing go even faster. Mm. So, but you have to have someone working on the business every single day. And that person, and they're not easy to find, but they're also not impossible to find. If you're if you're going to stay on a desk and you need an operations manager, you need a true operations manager. And I would almost almost if you're a permanent placement business, almost recommend looking not in the permanent placement executive search direction, but in the staffing business direction mm-hmm. for an operations manager. Mm-hmm. They are metrics driven. They understand gross profit. They understand how. All of the operations of the business will, can work, and they're probably going to bring efficiencies to the to the company. If you're sort of an average producer and maybe even have kind of worked yourself off of a desk because your support people are so good, plan on promoting somebody up into your role, easing yourself out of it, and completely cutting yourself off from it, and then work on scaling the business. So bringing people in, you know, Constantly looking at the operations of the organization, making sure that it's as efficient as possible and that all the systems are working. This is where you probably want to look at maybe hiring a full-time marketing team, whether you outsource it you know, to someone else or you bring it in-house, that you're in contact with the leader of your sourcing team, whether they're offshore or in-house, but you're working on creating more efficiencies. You're really understanding how the candidate flow is coming into the business, how efficient is it, how good is it, and working on refining that. And and continuing to, to like we talked early, specifically making sure that your focus is on each producer making their life, quote unquote, easier and bringing efficiencies to that desk level. If you focus in on that, you'll scale like crazy. Your, your your business will just absolutely take off, which is what our mind did. It just flew. Went from, I think we did like $50,000 the first year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, then we did uh, almost $2 million 
The third year, it was over $6 million. Uh, and by year three, we were well into the 10, 12 range. And I think at best, we did 16 or $17 million, um, and kind of hung around there for a while. So it's very, very, very doable. But you have to have someone who is in the weeds day to day, whether it's you or you hire someone to do that. You know, and some people just aren't good at that. You may you maybe be the firm owner and you're just a piddly producer and maybe you're not good at at the operations and and being able to refine processes and dig deep and understand the database and creating, you know, more opportunity for your recruiters. That's okay. Hire somebody to do it. Because otherwise your business is not going to grow. Yeah, absolutely. This is really good stuff, Joel. So um by the way, just so I have the context here, what was the mix of your business in terms of the locums versus you know direct hire permanent placements, and you know what did that look like? Yeah, so I think at our best, we did mm-hmm. eleven million in locums and five and a half million in perm. Mm-hmm. So it was um, uh, kind of like what, seventy-five, twenty-five, right in there. Do you, th- do you think it's easier to scale rapidly when you have that um, the recurring revenue from the contract side of the business? Because then you've got visibility of, you know, um, future earnings and, and, and cash flow. So you can be a little more confident or a little more aggressive in hiring. Yeah. Yes and no. I, I, I would say... Yes, and that makes it it makes it much the exposure is so much more fluid and solid. Like you understand you're billing every week, you know, and if you're billing a hundred and or quarter million dollars a week, then you know you you know where you stand. Even if you're doing thirty thousand dollars a week, you know, like here's the revenue, here's what my gross profit is. Ultimately, I'm working out my margin. You know, um, I know what's happening, but I also think that that. And this isn't always perfect, but I'm a, I'm a believer in it. If you're tracking your first-time interviews very, very closely and can, can based on the desk and average fee for, for that particular desk, you can predict revenue based on first-time interviews. And we did that forever. And, and we weren't 100% accurate with it, but we, we understood that if, if you're cooking and you're getting people out and they're interviewing, you're going to be making consistent placements. And you can sort of set a value on each of those first-time send-outs and understand, you know, have some predictability to a, a desk. So there, it's there. Um, but, but to your point, yes, it is a little, it is a little tougher. So Joel, when you reach the kind of um, the pinnacle uh, in terms of revenue, <clears throat> what was the sort of number of people you had in the business, the sort of structure, and what were the key roles that you had to either develop someone into or bring in from the outside to free you up so you could completely step away from the business and have something that wasn't all about just sledding? So it. About four years in, Mm -hmm. it became very apparent that we needed, we desperately needed uh, someone working full time in the the, um, organization. We, you know, this is when you need like a controller, 
you need a uh, operations manager, you know, you need all of it. Um, and, and it, it, I was, you know, quote unquote, a top, one of the top producers for, for the business, but I had replaced myself through developing other business units, other desks. And so I passed, you know, sort of passed my desk off to someone else, um, to a certain extent, but really got into acting as a CEO of, of Mm. business and, and, you know, brought in a, you know, brought in a, uh, CFO, not full time, but brought in a controller and you brought, you know, made sure we were brought up an operations manager and, and started to, to really, you know, like I said, about four years in, start to structure the company to again, scale again. And, um, you have to have all of those processes in place and how data is going to work and, 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 I built out a marketing team in-house and, wow. and yeah, it was, it was um, probably the best decision that I've ever made in business was to bring marketing mm. in-house and hire, you know, full-time. We ended up with four people on that team at our peak and they were responsible for 65% of new business coming in the door. Wow. And that's how efficient they were. Amazing. Um, and yeah, it is amazing, but they have, you know, they were out of mostly out of, I can't remember. I think most of them were from the university of Oregon, but they had, you know, done gotten degrees in marketing, you know, and it has a lot to do with social media and all that. And they brought all that to the table and, um, they just, they, uh, especially the, my first hire, Shannon was just absolutely brilliant at it. And we would go to market um, with all your standard social media stuff and email marketing campaigns and all that stuff. But we were doing it constantly. And mm-hmm. it went from being very little, little, little to being the number one business development tool for the whole company. Do you know what? I would love to talk to you again, Joel, because that I feel like that in itself could be a really interesting topic to explore further. And I, I'm just, um, I've only just discovered that like at, towards the end of our call. So, um, so I'd love to hear more about that sometime. But um, yeah, you you developed yourself and stepped up into the true CEO role. You had a leadership team in place to run operations, finance, marketing. So you really professionalized everything. Um, and I, th- I think that is the key. The, there's a firm I, I, I worked with over here in Europe who the three founders were able to scale and grow to about 140 people with offices in four countries. And at every stage, they replaced themselves. So they were started out billing they replaced themselves with billers. Then they were the sales managers and then they, you know, billing managers effectively. Then they replaced themselves in that role by again, constantly coaching. You mentioned that we, that's another topic we haven't really delved into is the coaching aspect. They coach people to upskill them so they could become managers. And then they were the directors managing managers. And then they developed people who are managers into directors. So now some of the guys who I trained when they were recruiters are now group managing directors, managing like 60 to 80 people. 
Um, and the three founders are completely, are completely hands off. So it's, it's amazing, but you have to really set out with that in mind, I think. Um, so look, um, we, we didn't even have time to get into the whole, what do you do to prepare a company for sale? Maybe that's a topic for, for another day. This has been such a interesting, insightful conversation, Joel. Thank you so much for making the time for this. Um, Listen, if people want to learn more about Innova people and what you're doing and get involved, then what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, you can always email me just at joel at innovapeople.com. Just let me know that you heard the podcast. And if you have questions, yeah, feel free. And, uh, you know, innovapeople.com website too. Awesome. Well, look, let's say to be continued, because, you know, I'd love to hear what you have plans for uh, for Innova and also more about how you leveraged marketing in a way. I feel like the search and staffing industries are very immature in terms of marketing and it's a very sales driven business traditionally. And um, so it sounds like you did you, you know, you found something special there that I'd love to to learn more about. So um, in the meantime, Joel, yeah. have, a, have an awesome day and uh, I'll, I'll look forward to speaking again. Yeah, thanks again, Mark. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for listening. Just before you go, let me ask you one question. Who in your network would make a great guest on the Resilient Recruiter podcast? I'm always on the lookout for interesting people to interview recruitment entrepreneurs who embody the ethos of the resilient recruiter. If you're a regular listener, you'll know the kind of person I'm looking for. Ordinary men and women who've achieved extraordinary things. Specifically, I'm looking for someone with a great story to tell, someone who's overcome adversity in pursuit of their goals, and who's open to sharing their own mistakes and learning experiences with our listeners. In the words of previous guests, John Coxon and Alex Elliott, I'm looking for someone with humble confidence. They could be a top producing solo or independent recruiter or the owner of a fast growing firm. Maybe that person is you, or maybe it's someone you know. Send me your recommendations, mark at recruitmentcoach.com or feel free to nominate yourself. And if you think you meet the criteria I've just outlined, I'd love to hear from you. Once again, it's mark at recruitmentcoach.com. Remember to hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.